Support for the Velo News Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the ultimate champion when it comes to men's below-the-waist grooming. Do they give out a yellow jersey for that? I don't know. Uh, Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The 4.0! So join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer to you, 20% off and free worldwide shipping if you use the code VELONEWS. That is all caps, VELONEWS, at manscaped.com. Right now, I am currently trying out the 4.0. I'm feeling nice and smooth in my chamois this week. Uh, The Lawnmower 4.0, we're talking about cutting-edge ceramic blade, 4,000K LED spotlight, to help you see where you're shaving. Additional guards for lengths from one to four to help you customize your look. Wireless charging and the advanced skin safe technology to reduce groin grooming accidents. No one wants that. Again, get 20% off and free shipping when you use the code VELONEWS, all caps VELONEWS, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off uh, with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use VELONEWS. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Okay, let's get on with the podcast. Welcome back to the Velo News Podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you on a frantic, frenetic, hectic Monday morning here at the home offices outside of Boulder, Colorado. This is our first of 12 Tour de France podcasts. That's right, 12. We are doing four podcasts a week through the Tour de France, and we are going to have all manners of cool content, interviews with riders at the race, check-ins with Andy Hood and James Sart, who are at the race, and their analysis and takes on what it's like to be there. We have some special guests chiming in this week. Our special guest will be Brent Bookwalter. You can hear from him in future episodes. And then I'll be, uh, you know, chiming in, chatting with Jim Cotton, Saibo Shea, some of the other Vela News editors to provide uh, some takes, some insight on in what's going on with the race. And um, just a programming note, people, bear with us here. The Tour de France is a crazy, unruly beast, and the news cycle changes every 30 seconds. And podcasts, as some of you may know, uh, aren't always the most nimble format of expressing news. Uh, there's some turnaround time, some editing time. We're going to do our best to get these things out so that they are up to date and pronto. But this is the Tour de France. Like the Peloton might get swallowed by a Sarlacc. GC riders may be abducted by aliens. Someone may crash on the way to the massage table and, uh, you know, throw the race into chaos. And so we are going to be as nimble and as up to date as we are with the news as we can be. But just bear with us. There may be some podcasts where like we miss the fact that uh, Primoz Roglic got abducted by aliens in his bed and is now out of the race. Um, That said, today, my co-host Jim Cotton and I are going to talk all about the crazy stories from today, Monday, stage three, and the previous two stages, which is this crash, crashing, this constant crashes, tons of crashes, everyone's crashed. It's been a brutal opening couple stages for the Tour de France. And then second part of the show, Andy Hood has an interview with Mikkel Kwiatkowski of Ineos Grenadiers, who had a bird's eye view, well, a uh, squirrel's eye view, I don't know, rider's eye view of uh, the bad crashes on stage one, and Kwiatkowski uh, takes us inside those crashes. But uh, before we get to him, Jim Cotton is on the line. Jim, you've been doing a great job of writing the stage reports and keeping up with the news here at the Tour de France. Um, 
first of all, I mean, just as a fan of cycling, as a watcher of cycling, a passionate lover of the Tour de France and all things bike races, how do you react when you see yet another GC favorite hit the ground or another huge pileup that like throws the race into chaos? What is your fan reaction to these big crashes? Well, the, the instant sort of on the sofa reaction is just just sadness for the for the athletes, but obviously also for the race. I mean, these guys have been training for the past four or five months or even a year for this massive goal, like the biggest goal of the year for them, and, and to see it wiped out in some cases due to, you know, spectators being, doing things they shouldn't, and in other cases due to poor route design is just a real sad thing. But also for the race as well, I mean, all all for the past month, we've been looking forward to this Roglic, Pogatar and Ineos Grenadiers kind of showdown. And as of Monday, it looks like that might have been impacted by crashes already. And it, it just takes away from the, the pure racing element. Yeah, we are recording this Monday morning. Um, the stage finished about an hour ago. Primoz Roglic crashed hard. We don't know if he's in the race or not. There could be a news story, a tweet that goes out 20 minutes from now that says Roglic is out with a, you know, broken elbow or something like that. We're all kind of playing the waiting game right now. Uh, but I'm with you. Um, you know, we hype up these heavyweight battles all, you know, for months and months and months heading into the race. And then it's just like touch of wheels, narrow road, slick piece of tarmac, and the whole thing can go out the window. Um, also, yeah, I, I feel for the riders. You know, I think it was Marine Zeman gave a quote after stage one, which saw so many crashes where he's talking about, you know, the hundreds of thousands of euros spent on training camps and wind tunnel testing and laboratory testing and soigneurs and food and airline flights and everything that now goes into getting a, red, a team ready for the Tour de France, which is, you know, cross global travel and all this stuff and it's just like something dumb happens and all that goes out the window i mean it is a brutal and just heartbreaking side of the sport my column today is basically the tour de france will rip your heart out because all this anticipation and all this you know love you want for this sport and then a touch of wheels and it can go wrong um let's get into these crashes uh so much ink was spilled on saturday's stage one about really one of the most disastrous and dumbest crashes I've seen in Tour de France history. That, of course, was the one caused by a spectator holding a sign uh, trying to get on TV for Grandma and Grandpa. And uh, the cardboard sign hits the Peloton as they're going by like 70K an hour. Tony Martin crashes right at the head of the Peloton and causes the, uh, you know, the dominoes-like situation where basically everyone hits the deck. Um, Jim, you were doing the stage report, so you were watching this thing live um, what was your impact? You know, what was the impact on you when you first saw this thing happen? Well, I, I must admit, I was just having a uh, sort of final hour chill out on the sofa in, in a semi sort of coma waiting to uh, to get to work when I saw it happen. And I just couldn't believe it. There was within seconds, there was probably 50 riders all down and watching the replays. You could see these Jumbo Visma riders kind of cartwheeling into uh, roadside ditches and it was just uh, incredible, really, and the the consequences played out through the rest of the stage. Um, you, you know, Tony Martin was covered in road rash, and uh, significantly for the GC, um, a lot of riders were caught off the back, and um, for Ineos, Richie Port and Teo Gagenhart sort of lost time as a consequence. And and then later in the same stage, in the final 10 kilometres, we saw um, 
although maybe not a contender, he's one of the big names of the tour. We saw Chris Froome come down really hard and, and lose a load of time. And going back to the fan impact, you know, following Froome's kind of comeback from injury and two years of trying to get back to this race, to see him, you know, caught off the back because he's because he's injured from the very start is just uh, it's just tragic, really. So this crash. This was one of the big ones that uh, every now and again, the the Tour de France breaks through into mainstream media because of something crazy that happens. And this one definitely did it. I checked the headlines afterwards and, you know, everything from CNN to ESPN to Fox News to, you know, big mainstream international publications had the news of this crash. And I think it was because it was televised. It was there for everyone to see. And it was one of those like bizarre moments that are unique to cycling. And um so mainstream was it that I actually got a, an email from a producer at NPR and I went and did an NPR interview and the guy, you know, who didn't know anything about cycling was asking me all these questions about like, oh my God, isn't this weird? Isn't this crazy? How did this happen? And, you know, I had to tell the guy, I was like, you know, this was a part- this was a particularly bad one. It was public. It was there. The fan was oblivious and, you know, knocked over the entire peloton. It happened at the front of the race. But these crashes where a fan impacts the race or a dog runs into the peloton or a horse runs alongside the peloton. Like, do you watch enough cycling? This stuff happens more regularly than you would think. I mean, and I, and I used the analogy. It's like when I, I remember one of the first tours I watched, 99 Tour, and uh, Giuseppe Guarini is on his way to win at Alpe d'Huez. And, you know, I didn't know much about the sport. I'm watching this highlight. And then all of a sudden, this guy steps out of the crowd to take a photo of him and knocks Guarini off his bicycle. <laughs> for watching as a kid, just like, wait, what? And it was a big story, but it was also like, you know, they didn't stop the stage, didn't stop racing. Life continued. And it was one of these moments like, what if the Super Bowl was going on? And all of a sudden, a fan ran out and tackled Tom Brady. And uh, the ref was just like, yep, that was third down. Okay, fourth down. <laughs> you know, it's like the game, the show must go on. And it is one of these unique to cycling elements that is tragic and sad and awful when it happens. But also, I mean, really sets our sport apart. I mean, in your normal life, Jim, have people been asking you about this? Have been, you know, regular civilians been asking you like, wait, how did, you know, what this woman knocks over the entire race with her sign, the race keeps going. Like, what, what does this mean? Like, what have you been telling people about this? Yeah, my, my mum asked, uh, which is a kind of a benchmark for uh, sort of normal person does cycling. And uh, she, uh, she knows about cycling purely through me and she just couldn't get her brain around it. And, um, it was on the BBC kind of all day and BBC news is probably like most American, you know, mass media news is very sort of, yeah, it doesn't care too much about cycling. But the problem is with, with things like this, where fans impact the race and cause crashes, it's, it's what's so unique about the sport and what, what also makes it so great is that, you don't need to go into a stadium and pay, you know, fifty dollars or whatever to go and watch to go and watch these things. And uh, for the tour in particular, where families can just kind of stand outside their houses and cheer on, you know, these crazy cyclists, it's, it's what makes the sport so fantastic. And I don't really know if there's much that can be done to to stop the impact of fans. I mean, the the ASO, the tour organisers, were talking about trying to to hunt down this fan, and I'm not quite sure what they're going to do it do to her but uh yeah i mean i don't know what can be done to solve it 
other than ban roadside spectators altogether. Yeah, what was your take on the ASO saying that they're going to like hunt down this poor goofy fan and like throw him in jail or fine him a million euros? What's, what's your take on that? Uh, I mean, I can understand they've got to make some sort of statement about it, but what are they going to do? You go and say, yeah, you can't go and stand by the road and watch the race that we we promote so viciously like all, all through the all through the month all through your your villages in like you know mucking up your traffic and things like this is I, I think it was just a statement of defiance kind of thing rather than an actual uh, kind of plan to do something so jim are you um familiar with this, this the legend the story of steve Bartman. Uh, no, I can't say I am, actually. Should I be? Y- yes, this is uh, in that vein. Um, the Chicago Cubs, the much maligned Chicago Cubs, they'd gone like almost 100 years without winning a World Series. And I believe this happened in early 2000s or late 90s. Um, the Cubs were in the playoffs and they were making a run. And then all of a sudden there was a ball hit um, and this fan leaned over the edge and caught the ball and it was ruled a home run and the out the Cubs outfielder could have had a chance to catch it like he was there to catch it and then this fan like grabs it and so they rule it a home run and the Cubs go on to lose his name was Steve Bartman and there was so much vitriol against him that he had like the entire stadium was very public and the entire stadium turned on him and people started throwing him and like saying they're going to kill him. And they had to escort this poor guy out of the stadium. And he ended up going into hiding. I mean, he is still actually in hiding. They did a documentary about this a few years ago. And um, the whole city hated him. You know, he was this lifelong Cubs fan or whatever. And when I, that was the first thing that popped into my mind when I saw the comment from ASO of like, ah, we will hunt down this woman and prosecute her. I was like, guys, are you not familiar with the story of Steve Bartman, like who's still in the witness relocation program because like angry Cub fans are trying to like hunt this poor person down? Um, maybe we cool it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Hey, fan. Bad job by you. Really bad job by you. This was dangerous, horrible disruption. You know, I hope everyone out there in France learns from it. But I don't know if we need to go like throwing this lady in jail. I mean, and you hit on it, Jim. This is one of the double-edged swords of cycling. Cycling is the sport where you can get six inches away if you want to from the action. Um, But there's a certain level of personal responsibility that comes with it. Um, I was doing the math in the lead up to this interview because, you know, I've heard people say, well, why don't they just put metal barriers down? You know, like, and there are metal barriers at the start and the finish and on some climbs and, you know, some high traffic zones. But I was doing the math and it's like 120 miles, typical tour stage. Um, That is uh, 1.2 million feet of barriers because you need both sides of the road. Um, And if a typical metal barrier is eight and a half feet long, you're talking 150,000 metal barriers. (laughs) And it's like, oh, yeah, okay. That's not practical. I don't know if there's that many metal barriers in France and just like picking them up and setting them down every single day would be, you know, foolish and impractical. That and like having fans come out to the race is part of the economic model of cycling. Like that's what turns the Tour de France into a platform where they can charge money to sponsors and charge money to people in the caravan and the start and the finish towns. You can't go like chasing them away. So it's a conundrum that they find themselves in. Um, And yeah, it just seems like... (laughs) The best way forward is like trying to advocate like good behavior. I I was worried something like this was going to happen because in recent years, I feel like what we've been seeing is like fans on the side of the road going crazy with selfies, you know? Yeah, it's always been something which has looked 
like it's going to happen. And we, we've seen selfie taking fans in uh, in bunch sprints take take riders down. I, I can't remember who it was. There's been a couple of incidents where bunch sprints have been caused by like a selfie stick poking out into the uh, into the the road. But also on stage three Monday, we saw that you know it's not just obviously there's there's a lot more to what causes crashes than than just uh, the spectators. I mean, there was there was three or four crashes in the the final half hour of stage three, which was just a, a pretty straightforward sprint stage, really. And they were all kind of rattling down these these really narrow single single lane kind of country roads into this quite small town in North France, and it, it does it does bode the question of you know how appropriate that finish was, and if if the route design was was correct because and also because stage towns like start and finish towns they have to they bid for the uh for the rights to host these these things and it comes down to how much the tour needs the money and how appropriate these finishes are and whether you can hold hold a boat bunch sprint on on a you know on a town that is approached by these narrow roads which aren't fit for a 20 wide peloton so as we look at the impact to the GC battle, I mean, the big loser today was Roglic. He lost a minute and 21 to the leaders. Uh, Garrett Thomas lost, I believe, 20 seconds. So did Pogacar. And really, the big winner from a GC perspective today was Richard Carapaz. So as we look at it, Carapaz is in third place Overall, uh, Pogacar is seven seconds behind him, but you know, then the gaps start to get bigger. I mean, Roglic already a minute 35 down. Um, when you look at the GC picture right now, how does uh, today impact what's going to happen in the rest of the race? I think it could be, it could be huge. I mean, for Roglic, um, he, he's as you say, he's, he's about 50 seconds down on Carapaz and 40 seconds down on Pogacar. And that takes a lot to to recover. You know, it's it's not something he's likely to overturn, say, within the space of one time trial or within one kind of summit finish attack now that the margins are so tight. And um, as well, there's the impact for, for Roglic on his team. Um, so two... So uh, Stephen Kreiswijk is rumoured to have a broken hand or something and might not start tomorrow. And Robert Hessink also crashed today in the the crash that caught Garrett Thomas out right at the start, and uh, he abandoned. So that's two of two of Roglic's like biggest kind of worker bees. Well, one definitely out of the race, and one severely injured. And you know, there's still 18 stages to go. They've not hit the mountains and you want to have your full deck of cards like still in your hand at this point. Um, and whether Roglic and Thomas both are able to race tomorrow or not, the fact is, is they're going to have a hell of a lot of bruises and road rash to, to put up with through the next two and a half weeks. And, and that all can take, take so much toll uh, on fatigue management and just how fresh they're feeling every day. And it, it could be a bit of a, kind of a race of survival for those two guys of resilience uh just scrolling through twitter here we have some uh news to break of course this will be old news by everyone by the time everyone listens to it caleb ewan out of the tour de france with a broken collarbone and then a lot of riders chiming in andre greipel whoever designed today's tour de france stage should try and ride with 180 riders on a twisty five meter ride road next to each other and pushing 
uh, pushing watts to the limits. Of course, we riders make the race at the end, but it's the riders who are also asked an earlier time taking five kilometers to go, which was refused uh, Germany's. But yeah, asking for five Ks to go for the time to be taken. Uh, Mikko Kwiatkowski in F1 racing, there's a qualification for reason. What happens in the first corner when everyone are allowed to start from position one? Success of the tour can change people's lives. And we're allowing 184 riders to take yellow, win a stage, take jerseys on day when, day one, when we all know the ride is eight, the, the road is eight meters wide. So riders obviously not happy about today's stage. Um, so, you know, brutal opening couple stages to the tour de france i was trying to think back to the last time we saw carnage on this level i mean the opening week of the tour always sees carnage everyone's fit there's 184 riders the roads are narrow and twisting there's a ton of pressure on people so nerves are frayed people take chances where they otherwise wouldn't have and just like everyone's flying and so that's sort of this magical recipe that leads to crashes i'm trying to remember though i, I found this blog on bike radar because like all of our memories are like hummingbird memories when it comes to the Tour de France. I remember it's like, I remember vaguely what happened yes last year, but you know, stuff that happened more than four or five years ago, even though I was following the sport, I cannot remember. 2015 though, uh, Tour was temporarily suspended after a significant crash stage three between Antwerp and Huey. Cancellara and Simon Garens crashed. Cancellara left the race. Then Tony Martin fell a couple days later. He left the race. Big pile up. Um, I remember that now. That was a pretty bad one. The difference this year just feels like it's day after day after day. So, you know, as we head into stage four, my only hope is uh, no crashes. I mean, Jim Cotton, when you look at stage four, uh, this looks to be another. Yeah, it's just a, it's a kind of a fairly short, yeah. fairly straightforward looking sprint stage. And I. I believe uh, Fougere is is one of the stages where Cavendish has uh, has won one of his first sprints, and that's getting uh, a lot of people quite excited about his prospects. Um, so yeah, let's just hope that the race comes through with everyone upright. And I mean, as well as Roglic losing you and Caleb Ewan so early is is a real loss because uh, he was the sprinter to beat this year and he had this big goal of winning a stage at all three grand tours and and he didn't even get a chance to sprint so you know it's it's been a real a real costly opening three stages of, uh, of this race well i think we're going to leave you all with this last piece of breaking news from twitter this is from dutch journalist daniel Dwarsward. very dutch name Primus Roglic just got out of the medical car. He says, fortunately, nothing is broken. I'm completely open. We can go on. So good news for Primus Roglic, even though he lost a minute 21 and skittered across a bunch of sharp gravel and tore the butt out of his shorts. Uh, it looks like he will continue. So he uh, will continue to fight again. Uh, Jim Cotton, you can read all of his great reports, analysis, and opinions on VelaNews.com. And I thank you for being a wonderful co-host for this Tour de France podcast. Let's hear from Mikkel Kwiatkowski. That's right. This week's episode is brought to you by Manscaped, makers of the new Lawnmower 4.0. And right now you can get free shipping and 20% off 
by using the code VELONEWS. That's right, uppercase VELONEWS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code VELONEWS. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Okay, let's get back to the podcast. All right, Michael Kuyakowski, thanks for stopping by. Uh, opening weekend for uh, Ineos Grenadiers. Uh, yeah. Good, bad? Uh, what you expected? How do you guys rate the race so far for you guys? Um, I mean, there's always uh, room to improve, obviously, uh, but on the end of the day, if you see how many crashes there was on the stage one, we are just happy that uh, we came out of the of those first two stages without a scratch. I mean, Theo Gegenhardt was uh, involved in the, on the first day and then Richie as well, but uh, they're feeling all right. So so that's that's the most important, that we, we have healthy eight-man squad and uh, we're ready to go for, for another three weeks. Now, on the Saturday crash, were you involved in either one of those big crashes we saw? Everybody is If I was? Yeah. Uh, no. I was super close on the second last one. Uh, I think uh, one of the Jumbo Visma riders la- was laying on me. I was laying on him with with the high speed, but I managed to stay upright. So, yeah, that was a super close one. Now uh, we're seeing the fans back at the race this year. The tour yeah. is it any different than the tours you've seen in the past, or is it a little bit more tension on the roads? For sure, it's more tension than than comparing to last year. When, when there was no no so much people so uh, I think we we kind of forgot about it how dangerous it can be and uh, we have to keep ourselves uh, you know uh, aware that anything can happen if you really go on the edge of the road and uh, just yeah that, that's that should be uh, just more communication from the organizer and from ourselves to just uh, just communicate that to the public. They they have to be wise, and uh, you know, if if they want to come to the race and then cheer on us, that they have to really think about that anything can happen. With you know, when when the peloton riding pass, we could see you know dramatic scenes with with the mom taking care of his her kid, and I saw that, and you know when. I just know myself, I know the peloton, how it's inside the peloton, how dangerous it is and I would never really, you know, stood myself on the outside of the corner and anywhere close, I would always have like backup, uh, you know, where, 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 where to escape or, you know, just stand behind the barrier, you know, the open area when 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 the actually motorbike or, or, or rider can or, or the car even can hit you, that's that, that's not a safe place. Like you know, you you see, you know, rainy races. It's there should be some limitation like where people can stand. Are you seeing that the racing is more dangerous? Everyone kind of says that the speed and brake cranks up every year. That uh, everyone's fighting to be at the front. Has that changed over in, in, during your career? I think I make the point before that you know I think like the opening stage when 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 you when you have the stage when pretty much everyone can can fight for for the final victory and there is so much to to grab which is taking the yellow jersey at the Tour de France and as well taking the mountain jersey taking you know sprint jersey winning the stage is so much so much favorites on the on the day one and it's kind of 
difficult for, for, for you know, it, it's, it's like compared to Formula 1, there is qualification which makes the P1, P2, P3, P4, they don't start, you know, twen, twen, you know, all the drivers don't start from the P1, that would be, you know, impossible task to enter the first corner, it's kind of the same with the, you know, first stages, when, when there is opening stage like that, you know, there's 184 riders, we just can't, you know, I don't see it happening that we, we just come to the finish with 184 riders. So s sooner or later there is a tension, there is too much people going into one corner, too high speed, this high speed. And that's that's what's happening. I mean, that that's what I meant about, you know, having the prologue or something like that. There should be already some people, uh, because of that, not thinking about taking the yellow jersey, for example. Oh, and, 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 so you think uh, a prologue would ease the tension really in this first uh, Yeah, at least then, then some people would not have think anymore about the yellow jersey, you know, the stage one. You know what I mean? And then, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's what I meant. Like, Formula One doesn't do that. Like, they, they have qualifications and, and there is so much to gain on the on the stage one this year to the France it was the same situation last year and so much to lose in, in, in my opinion so it's, it's a difficult one you know and uh, going into this first week it seems like it's an old school Tour de France uh, hard hilly stages yeah. maybe some wind coming up is that going to be a benefit for Ineos and perhaps maybe be against maybe Pogacar who's like younger and maybe not experienced in those kinds of races I always believe anything can be beneficial if you do the right thing so yeah hopefully you know even today they say it's 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 you know we, we, we will have some rain on the end probably but on the end of the day whatever we, we just want to be on the right side anytime and and doesn't matter if it's wind you know mountains or, or, or the tantra just hopefully we can gain time and not lose time on those stages so we're just focusing on doing the right thing today as well and i know it's hard to draw conclusions but what's your take so far of just robot and Pogacar? they seem pretty jumpy and uh, pretty explosive so far in these two yeah. uh, hilltop finales yeah, and that 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 was uh, that was the case as well last year. So so they seems to be in really good shape. But you know, Tour de France is three weeks long. So let's see how the the legs are of the main contenders on the on the mountains and on the first tantra. That I think that's uh, crucial crucial stages for the for the GC guys right now. Just you know, fingers crossed they go through the through the tricky opening to the France as always without. And scratch that's that's the main objective you know you know five seconds here or there it doesn't make any difference at the moment in my opinion what's the mood inside the bus i mean last year it kind of went off the rails for ineos you guys got very accustomed to winning uh is it is there kind of double motivation to get back and win the yellow jersey this year yeah definitely we have we are full of confidence you know after uh, as well winning uh, many state races this year I would say I'm, I'm full of confidence that we, we have the strongest team here and, 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 and ready to win, you know. And just for you personally, what is going to be your role and will you ever have a chance to maybe go for a stage win? Oh, definitely not. I'm, I'm here to, to help the leaders and, uh, and uh, do whatever I can to, you know, make possible to, to, for them to, to have armchair rides on each stage and uh, to just help them win, win, win the overall. And my personal ambition is just go through the, through the France with, with good feeling and thinking about Olympic Games. Good.
just a final question about the COVID this year, you know. Yeah. It seems like the restrictions are the same, but the rules have been relaxed. Um, yeah. The two strikes rule is still in, but it doesn't apply to the staffers. Is that right? I have no clue. <laughs> I, I have no clue what, what are the rules. I mean, internal, internal, yeah, let's say procedures we have is kind of the same as as, as last year. So I'm I, I'm fully vaccinated, but I pay, you know, the same, I'm, I'm, I'm like same cautious and, and and same procedures as last year. So for me, I'm I'm treating uh, COVID and all the protocols as as I would speak to the, you know infected person right now or you know sick person so I mean uh, yeah nothing changed for me personally because we, we still under the big risk to be honest yeah how many times have you been tested in the last year and a half have you lost count <laughs> I lost count yeah really, really. yeah yeah it's a uh, two or three before every race right yeah definitely it's 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 a huge amount of number of tests, which is kind of, uh, yeah, if you count that, it's, you know, logistic wise, get the test done, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's something I would like to avoid, but uh, this is how it is, yeah. Alright, does it make it easier that Thomas and Carapaz are already ahead on GC and Port and Tergegen Hart have already lost minutes so they can now work for those two leaders? Has it made it easier in terms of your strategy? Uh, I mean, uh, I would like to see them uh, not losing time. Yeah. They, you know, you, you, they lost time because of the crashes yeah. on the first day. So, so you know that that's the bad side or side of it. Or the, the good side is like they they don't have massive injuries, and uh, that's the most important thing. And and you know, uh, I would like to see them. You know. First, second, third, fourth of the GC at the moment, but yeah. this is uh, this is the opening weekend of the Tour de France. So, yeah. uh, but it makes it easier when, like, say, there's a puncture you know, or like there's a crash, you know exactly, you know now just to focus on Thomas and Carapaz in terms of who you need to bring back up. No? If that makes it easy, not not at all. I mean, it's, okay. it's anything it still can happen at the Tour de France. You know, the, let's fingers crossed there is no more crashes and. Uh, the the you know G and, and and Carapaz can stay up there and uh, it's just you know sometimes it's just elimination race as as you can see and hopefully we don't gonna eliminate that way other guys I just just want to see the whole team in the front safely and not losing time that that means that we do the right thing and riding at the front like we saw yesterday that's just to keep your guys safe right because you said we've seen more attacking though. yeah definitely it's it's uh, just a part of the part of my job and part of the you know the tactic just to make sure that uh, everybody's safe even we spend a little bit more energy than than maybe we should or, or stuff like this it's opening weekend it's all about you know surviving and avoiding crashes and that's what we're doing at the moment thanks guys thanks for taking thanks, the time thanks, thanks george